Good morning. <clears throat> um, last week we started the uh, book of James. We went through the first eight verses. Um, we talked about the nature of challenge that James brings with his writing. And today won't be any different. Uh, it'll be, uh, we'll be covering verses 9 through 27. So, without really any uh, further ado, if you guys missed um, last week, please go and check it out first. So that way you can we get this in context. Because that's kind of the point of doing this. Doing this um, study in its entirety is to make sure that we are hearing the Word of God in the context that He wants us to hear it. You know, we're not taking uh, verses here and there to kind of prove a point. So we're going to jump straight into uh, the scriptures. Again, I'm reading out of the New King James. So uh, feel feel free to uh, fact check me or to follow along with me would be, uh, be great. Okay, so... We're going to be starting in verse 9. Okay, verse 9 says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Now, this um, starts out very similar to what we talked about last week uh, with what Solomon was trying to teach us. Um, Again, at the end of uh, the lesson last week, you know, James is just reiterating that same point. Um, Now, there's different theories here on this, uh, uh, referring to the rich and the poor. Is he, when he's talking about the poor, is he talking about... Poor, meaning, um, is this a person who is poor as far as the way the church sees them or the way they are in their faith, or are they just poor by the world's standards? It seems to lend that we are talking about poor by the world's standards here. Uh, And others say that, you know, rich in verse 10 means uh, that that denotes a non believer, but this person is is a person that's lost and they're in the world. Um, Not necessarily. What James is talking about is within the church that you have different situations. And I'll tell you this, whether you're rich or poor, that doesn't denote how holy you are. There's some very wicked, evil, poor people, and there are some very wicked, evil, rich people. And inversely, there are some very devout, rich people in the Bible and in the world that I live in. And there are also very rich, poor people. I'm I'm sorry, very devout, poor people. So what James is saying is whatever your lot, whatever, um, wherever God has placed you, have the right mindset. For the poor, here's what he's saying. If you've got Jesus, then you've got everything. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in or how the world sees you. 
remember that your exaltation that is found is found in Jesus Christ. So everyone, I love this statement, everyone is equal at the foot of the cross, and there's no one who's going to strut into the kingdom of heaven, meaning in the kingdom of God, the stuff about where God has placed you or how much you have or don't have has nothing to do with your value in the eyes of Jesus. But then he turns it in verse 10. Um, he says, but tell the rich people, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you the same thing. You can be the most wealthy person on earth, but to God, you're nothing than whatever you're devoted to. It's, you know, whether you're devoted to Jesus Christ or not. That's the only thing that your riches are good for, is to advance the kingdom or for you to handle them with the responsibility and in the way that God told you to handle them. So what James is saying is you could have everything there is to offer, but if you don't have Jesus, then you don't have anything. And that's the way we see it, right? That The poor never forget they have everything in Christ, and the rich never forget that they have nothing without Christ. And he said... You have to keep that mindset. And when you have that mindset, then you understand that when you look at your brother, whether he be rich or poor, you both are equal in the eyes of God and in need of redemption. And none of the stuff that we accumulate is going with us to the other side. So keep the proper mindset. So now let's look over in verse 12. He says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who endures temptation or who endures um, a trial, right? This is what we talked about last week. So don't miss, uh, don't miss this. He's saying, you know, blessed is the man, or he's not saying blessed is the man who remains steadfast when God delivers him from a trial or blessed is the man who says, thank you, God, for helping me escape the trial. But what he's saying is blessed is the man who never compromises the cross in any way, shape or form, no matter how bad the suffering, no matter how bad the trial and trials will only be considered pure joy when those trials are effectively endured. Like we talked about last week. So, in this life, we will face trials, right? That's what we talked about last week. Um, your response to those trials are, are determined by where your faith and trust is, okay? Um, if my faith and hope and trust is in myself, then... Even if I make it through the trial, it, it won't be with thanksgiving or gratitude or uh, with any kind of growth. It'll be out of self-glory, right? But we can count these trials as pure joy because that's the thing. The world takes these trials and looks at them as, oh my goodness, I got to get through this. So what we talked about last week briefly but as Christians, we can, we can actually praise God for the trial itself because we know that through it and in it, 
we will grow closer to Christ and be more of a reflection of him. And that's big. So trials can only be considered pure joy when those trials effectively are endured. That's what I mean by effectively. Um, So they have to be effectively endured by the follower of Jesus. Okay? That's the only time they can be counted pure joy. So you can't count it pure joy if you're tested, which we will get to here in a minute, um, by a trial or some kind of conflict, and you don't pass. Okay? You cannot count it pure joy. If you compromise God and you turn on God, and you reject God, and you begin to complain about God, and you don't glorify Him, then you certainly can't count that pure joy. And he's saying, the one who remains steadfast will be blessed and will receive the crown of life. Now, the crown of life has been talked about quite a bit. Um, Some said that the crown of life means, excuse me, eternal life. And certainly that's part of it. But if you have confessed with your mouth and repented of your sins that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you've been delivered from sin and you are with Jesus. Um, so, and, and think about who he's writing to here. He's not writing to the lost, right? He's writing to the church. So he can't, it can't mean eternal life here because we don't have to endure a trial or suffering to inherit eternal life. We don't. Um, now, I, I do want to clarify, some people will suffer more than other people. They just do, uh, even under the authority of Christ. I mean, uh, you know, look, look at Cameron. So it can't be that he's talking about that in heaven there are degrees of reward as far as your salvation. Um, but not everyone is going to be treated the same as far as their rewards for the things that they did for the kingdom. Not to earn their salvation, but as a result of salvation. And you see Paul writing to Timothy at the end of his life that he has fought the fight and I've run the race and I'll receive the crown of righteousness from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about crowns like that, you know, when we talk about I'm going to receive a crown, we think about, um, or, or that we'll receive this crown, we think about this immaculate, you know, golden ruby encrusted crown um and i'm not saying that i know that that's not how it's going to be but most of the time in these analogies here they're talking about those wreaths uh that people would get for winning races in the original olympics um and all that you know know, all that um the, the very humble looking crowns right um and really what James is saying is when you're somebody that God allowed to be put through a trial and tribulation and you were martyred or you remained steadfast the whole time, that's telling God that you love him because anyone that loves him will obey him. So he's saying those that love Christ will be steadfast and will endure suffering trials. And when they do, it shows that they love Jesus. And those that love Jesus... He gives him a crown of life. Um, So there's treasures in heaven to be had, and there's a special treasure in heaven for those who endure trials and suffering and remain steadfast. And he's saying, blessed are those people. 
So let's look at verse 13. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So, we're going to spend a, a little chunk of time here. But test. Uh, I, I want to kind of jump right to the point here. Testing is meant for good. Temptation has always been bent on evil. Okay? We talked about, if you were in class, we talked about this a little more in depth in class. So, now, just to be clear, James categorically says that you can never wonder about um, this again. You know, about about God's, does God tempt people? Uh, Because he forbids anyone to claim that temptation comes from God, right here in verse 13. Um, He says that nor does he himself tempt anyone. Right, <clears throat> that's over. So anybody that says, "Well, God's tempting me here," no, James clarified that it's as straightforward and as clear as the scriptures can possibly be. So God does not tempt anyone; He tests, and testing is meant for good and sanctification and purification, for perfecting, for steadfastness. But temptation is always aimed at evil it's always bent or its goal is always an evil and perverse purpose and our nature is for us to always blame someone else for our sin now this has been going on since genesis three twelve. in genesis three twelve, we find adam thinking that um you know eve is the greatest gift that god's ever been get uh, that god's ever given him and he's praising god for giving him this gift and he even says you know bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. But then when sin enters into the garden and God comes up to Adam and he says, you know, what's going on here? He immediately blames Eve. That's our nature. You know, Adam says, I have nothing to do with this. It's all her. But that's that's our nature since the fall. And it continues to be our nature. So what James is saying is do not be deceived if you ever or if ever you find yourself in sin. Don't blame anybody else but yourself. Don't even say the devil made me do it. You know, we hear that quite often that people say, well, you know, the devil made me do it. Or, um, you know, on the other side, uh, you know, um, you know, I, I beat the devil today. Um, all the devil can do is present opportunities but most everything we find ourselves in is because of us. It's what he says right here in uh, verse 14, um, drawn away by, by our own desires, right? Um, so we need, to, we need to stop for just a second and just pause here because we need to um, demystify or debunk some of these myths about Satan, okay? Um, Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. Uh, he's not omnipotent. Uh, he's not everywhere, and he doesn't know everything. He and he only has a third of the, all the angels. So, so you know, we, we categorically 
we label him in a similar way as God, but he's not, right? He he is bound by the same laws that God has given his other angels. So he it's not like he's he's here with me or and, and then he's over, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. Um because when you when you when you think about it, there's really more of us than there are of them. And unless I hope I can get to the point to where um, you know, or I, I hope I can get to the point to where I can say, or where, you know, Satan and his demons say, we got to do something about Josh. You know, um, he's, he's up and moving again today. We, we, we got to get at, get after him. You know, we have to stop him. Um, sadly, I don't think I've reached that point. Um, so most of the trouble that I find myself in has nothing to do with me. I'm sorry, has nothing to do with the devil, but everything to do with me because he probably isn't around me. Um, you know, think about it like this. Um, when I sin, it is mostly when in my fallen flesh and in my own evil desires that have not yet been destroyed by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's that's when I sin most of the time. It's it's when it's I, I find myself in sin because I want to. Um, you know, there are still some things in this world and in my own nature that I still love more than Jesus. Uh, because I found that everything that I've gotten, or every whenever I've gotten to the point to where I love Jesus more than whatever it was that I desired, that desire is removed when we're talking about sin. And if it wasn't removed, I was always giving that thing power to where I could commit the sin. You know, once again, we can't say that uh, Jesus is so weak that we just sin and we can't stop. You know, um, this has kind of infiltrated the modern church, and I wish it would stop. It's this idea. Um, well, this is really why the book of James isn't studied much in modern churches because it, it kind of flies all in the face of this um, hyper grace abuse, you know, that somehow Jesus just comes along and we've encountered the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we've encountered the power of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection that the Bible tells us um, raised Christ from the dead. It tells us about the Holy Spirit um, that comes into our spirit, you know, it wrote, and, and, and we turn around and we say, well, we just have to keep on sinning. Well, that doesn't say much about the Holy Spirit, right? And, and listen, when when you sin, like I said before, it's because you want to. And when I sin, it's because I want to. You know, uh, oh, the devil got me today. Really? Because, you know, the, the devil found his way to Arab, Alabama and said, uh, you know, I tell you what, I've got to go after Josh today. I don't know what we're going to do if, if we don't stop him. Um, the devil with all the things going on, the wars in the Middle East, and he's trying to keep all these things happening, and he had to stop what he's doing, and he's going to find me in Arab, Alabama, and he's going to destroy me? I, I think he's got better things to do, quite frankly, you know, in, in, in his mind. So when I keep failing, it's because my biggest adversary is myself. I am my own problem. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with the lack of what God's doing. 
What God is saying is anyone who loves me will obey me. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, don't ever say that God has anything to do with this because each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Okay. Now I see this a lot. Um, and I've actually been guilty of this and, and you know, it's going to happen. Um, and I'm not going to let it happen anymore. You know, that that's what we can do. The, the sanctification process that God is working in us is we can say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to buy into that anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to feed that sin. I'm not going to give power to that thing over me anymore. Um, you know, I found that when I fall into sin, it's, it's normally because I don't flee from it. Because I don't flee from it. You know, you look at Joseph, the story of Joseph. For those of you that know, you know, I don't want to get into it for time's sake, but, you know, Joseph fleed. He fled, I should say. He fled from that temptation, from that sin. He didn't just, you know, cover himself and or say no. I mean, he, he ran. And if we were to take sin as seriously as he did, then then I highly doubt you would sin as much as you do now, or I would as much as I do now. You know, we uh, we we mess around with it, and and we you know we get this idea like when we're watching TV or movies or something, and we and we think, well, you know, I'm just going to watch the show or 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 listen to this thing, and and uh, you know, it, seeing seeing this inappropriate stuff on TV that doesn't really bother me. But you know what the Holy Spirit says? Well, it should. You know, it should. You know, how can uh, the Holy Present, the Holy Spirit's presence in you be powerful and yet you can turn it on and off that easy? You know, the powers of the resurrection, I can just turn that off? And what we say all the time is, uh, you know, that's what happens. Uh, you know, is we'll have much more success in our obedience and stop falling into sin mainly on the day that you decide you're not going to even tamper with it anymore. So, you know, every time I get get around somebody, this is what I've heard. Well, every time I get around this guy, I end up, you know, cussing like a sailor. Well, don't be around them. Well, every time I get around the, this group of people, I tend to, you know, drink in excess. Well, maybe you shouldn't be around those people. You know, well, every time I find myself alone at home, I, I tend to maybe my mind gravitates towards these thoughts that I ought not to be thinking or or maybe I spend so much time on my phone and I just linger on some pictures too long. Well, you know what? Stop. Stop feeding yourself those things. Don't give yourself the opportunity. You know, that's um, um, my father-in-law when my wife and I were dating. He didn't have many rules for us. Um, you know, like the, the girlfriend, dad rules that most people think of. He, his biggest thing was don't, ever give yourself the opportunity to sin and and the number one culprit there was alone time right is that he wanted to know uh where we were where we were going when we got there when we left and when we were coming home and, and so on and so forth he and it was all for our benefit you know um he didn't want us to give sin an opportunity to present itself and if you don't give 
sin that opportunity, then it won't occur. Um, so most of the time when sin does occur, when you do fall into sin, it's because you're not intentionally avoiding it. Um, you know, it's like, it's like, think about infidelity in the workplace big time, right? If, um, if you're a man that works, let's just, for an assumption here, if you're a man that works in an office setting with a woman, um, an attractive woman, right? And you're an attractive guy or vice versa. And you spend a lot of waking hours with that person, you know, and a lot of times you, you are intimate with that person and what I mean is like you have a strong relationship with them you know that you they they know about you and they care about you and and what ends up happening is they're like well you know and I, I didn't mean to cheat on my wife or I didn't mean to cheat on my husband it just you know it's it, it was just a thing I fell into no you gave yourself the opportunity and you dwelt on it so long that you allowed that temptation to bear fruit, um, which was, which was ultimately sin. You know, um, so when when people say, "Well, you know, I'm just going to see what's going to happen," well, I can tell you what's going to happen. You know, I, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. You'll fall every time. So when we're sold out to Jesus, like we talked about last week, what James is saying is that you already know what you're going to do before you even get in this situation. Um, you don't just say, well, I'll see, you know, I mean, if you, if you're a man watching this and you have a daughter or a woman for that matter, you know, what if your daughter comes to you and says, you know, uh, I've got this boyfriend. I, I think what I'm going to do is, you know, I like this guy. He's handsome and I'm going to go and we're going to get in his car and we're going to go drive off some to some remote place. We're going to listen to some slow music and, and then I'm going to wear the shortest skirt that I can find and the lowest cut blouse. And, and um, you know, I'm just going to try not to sin. You know, we'll just see what happens. You know, no. You know, you ask a dad, and they say, you know, if, if I see my daughter coming, walking out wearing something like that, I'd lock her in her room. But you wouldn't lock yourself in your, in that room. You know, you, um, you say, well, well, I'm not even going to, let her out of the house. Well, don't let yourself out of the house. You know, but we hold our kids to a standard that we don't hold ourselves to. But you've made that same commitment that you're going that you're going to refrain from sin. You know, what did Job say? He said, uh, "I've made an account with my eye, or a covenant, not an account. I've made a covenant with my eyes, right? Meaning with God that I'll never lust after a young maiden." And, and what he meant is, you know, he's already decided that there's even though there's not one around. But he knows one day there will be. So I'm going to make the decision right now that I'm I'm not going to see what happens um, when I get there. So, you know, down at the bottom of verse 15, it says, and then sin brings forth death. Now, um, we, we, we know it brings about eternal death, right? Um, but when we're talking to our brothers and sisters, which James is here, um, we know that James isn't talking to lost people, right? Um, we, we went over this just a minute ago. So it's important to understand that this letter is to the church, to those who already find that they, 
that they claim, you know, or that they've clung to Jesus Christ. And I've got to tell you, if if you don't think that sin brings death beyond eternal death, try it. You know, every time, and I went over this a couple of weeks ago. If if you uh, if you remember, every time I find myself in sin, it brings death. It brings death to relationships, to character, to integrity, to the effectiveness with your faith. Right? It always brings forth death, even if it's not going to bring you eternal death. Sin matters. So every single time that revival has been stopped, sin has always stopped it uh, in your own life and in the church. Okay, we spent a little time on it. Let's go to verse 16. Verses 16 through, um, let's go ahead and read all the way through 20. Let's move along here. Um, So it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and perfect, and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own, uh, excuse me, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, that's a good teacher, right? Because he's cut us pretty deep up to this point, and he knows he's about to cut us again. So he says, let me remind you that I love you. And he's, uh, you know, he's he's not saying uh, you, but he's saying us, right? Don't miss that. He's my beloved brethren. We talked about that last week a little bit. So this is a powerful man of the church, but he understands um, that he is just as much of a sinner saved by Jesus. And he's saying, my beloved brothers, I'm going to give you some more exhortation, but I want you to know that this is applying to both of us and to all of us. Um, So he doesn't act like he's superior to us before he lays down some tough stuff. Uh, in the rest of 19 and 20. You know, Proverbs 14, 29, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. This is what James is talking about. What he's saying is with anger, you know, talking about wrath here, with anger, you always have to keep it under control and be slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger does not produce the life that God desires, bottom line. If you can't control your anger, God can't use you. He's saying anybody that can't get a handle on their anger will always fall. It's not really any more straightforward than that. Um, Let's look over verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He's saying here, uh, you know, Here's the bottom line. Get rid of sin. Remove sin from your life. And if you remove sin, humility and meekness um, will come through the implanted word. And that we know that, you know, meekness is not weakness, but it's, it's someone who has strength under control. You know, if you remove sin from your life and you're humble enough to realize um, how much of a sinner you really are, and how much you don't deserve. You know, we stop justifying things out of our arrogance and out of our pride. So any person, when, when he was talking about a double-minded man last week, th- this is 
I didn't want to get into this too much then because I want to talk about it now, but any person who's out representing us or Jesus Christ that says they're a big deal or that they're a big voice of the church and isn't humble, I always question. You know, uh, celebrities in particular. These celebrities that come out and say that they're Christian, I'm very skeptical immediately. You know, some people think that that's that I'm immediately like doubting or casting judgment. But if you're not humble, if you're not a humble person and you don't have meekness, it's hard for me to believe that you have a changed heart and that this isn't some, you know, publicity stunt. And I'll even say the same with, for those of you who were a part of the crusade that our church did uh, several years ago. You know, I don't, I don't want to name any names, but the headlining speaker um, required a large sum of money. And, and his reasoning behind it was because of how prominent of a speaker he was. It just raises questions. I'm not saying that that man isn't a, isn't a Christian or isn't a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm just saying I question it. You know, a man who's not humble, I can't trust. Um, you know, I have to keep my eye on those people. And, and the same goes for me. I'm sure if I came, came across as uh, arrogant, which to some people I may, and, and I need to fix that because it hurts my witness. You know, I can't just say, well, some people, it seems like that. So, I mean, they just have to deal with it. No, I have to deal with it. Because sooner or later, that pride is going to lead to our fall. You know, uh, if, if we are proud and we have um, a haughty spirit, it's going to lead to our own destruction. And it never fails. Um, you know, look at Satan himself. So uh, James is saying that you have to get that under control. And if you want to learn how to be humble, get in the word. So verses, um, let's go through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, And immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I I love I love this passage because we talked about um, you know prerequisites or qualifiers a little bit last week, Uh, contingencies maybe that's the word I used I can't remember. this passage is loaded with them. So let's, let's, let's in a nutshell here, um, what he's saying here is that what you do is what you really believe. Um, and if you don't live what you confess, then you really don't believe what you confess. Um, Rick Burgess is, I love listening to Rick Burgess. He, he has some great insight and, uh, he has this saying that if you listen to their, their radio show at all. I know you've heard it, but he's, he, he makes a statement. 
He says, you may not, may not always believe what you confess, but you will always without fail live what you believe. You know, what he means by that is I, if, 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 um, if I say that I believe that sin can send me to hell, to an eternity of damnation and torment, and I'm not doing everything I can to refrain from it, do I really believe it? Again, I, you know, I, I told everybody from the beginning that the book of James is challenging. Um, so, again, if you don't live what you confess, then you really don't believe what you confess. So we say that we know that we're wretched and undeserving of grace, but then what do we do? We immediately compare ourselves to others instead of the standard that we claim to hold ourselves to. Because it's easy to look good in comparison to other people. But then in verse 25, uh, we're given quite a few qualifiers here. It says, He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Okay, so we have to look into the perfect law. We have to continue in it. We have to not be a forgetful hearer, and we have to be a doer, okay? We got four qualifiers in order to be this one will be blessed in what he does. This one will be the object of God's favor. So, like I said last week, it's not enough to just say that you're a Christian. You have to do something. Verse 26. uh, Let's look at verses 26 and 27. We'll wrap this up. If anyone among among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart this one's religion is useless pure and undefiled religion before god and the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world you know verse 26 seems to be pretty straightforward um if you, if you if you say that you're a religious person and you do not bridle your tongue and we deceive ourselves then it's you then our our faith is useless um uh, verse 27 kind of I really thought about it and um it, it says it, it give it tells us what pure undefiled religion before God so God's definition of pure and undefiled uh, faith is and it's to visit orphans and widows in their trouble um, so I started thinking about it specifically from my own perspective so I'm going to give you a little I don't want to say opinion but I'm, 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 I'm keep in mind that I'm reading this from a Josh colored lens, okay? Um, based on um, what I've been through, and um, but it's it's not. Well, let me tell you what this means to me. I want to see what it means, right? I don't want to see what the scriptures are saying to me specifically. Um, only, I should say, but. I want to see what it means. What is God telling us here? So when, when I was thinking about it from my own perspective as, you know, a father of, of two young kids and husband to a, a young wife, 
that uh, I realize that if I'm visiting orphans, those those aren't my children, and those widows, they aren't my wife, right? I mean, duh. But according to the world, these groups of people are not my responsibility. That that's what's what I'm getting at here, you know. You talk to somebody that is not of the faith, and and um, they have this attitude of, you know, those aren't my kids, or that's not my wife, or that's not, and and it's not just with orphans and widows, but it's, you know, th- that attitude kind of leads into other things. Well, it's not my problem, right? Um, so, so, how is visiting orphans and widows in their trouble? pure and undefiled it's because it's selfless okay um if if done in the right spirit meaning you know if i go to do these things just so i can go brag about it later obviously that's not what 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 james is telling us here but if i go to visit an orphan and i spend and share with them the same quality of my time that I would with my own children, you know, that doesn't benefit me anything. Um, But it's solely for those kids. And in the same manner with the widows, you know, these widows aren't my wife, but if I sacrifice, I'm going to put my time, right? My time, because it's not our time. It's not this. I don't have Josh time. The, The time that God has given me is still God's. He's just letting me, dictate what I'm going to do with it and see if I'm I'm going to be responsible with it. Um, that's one of my biggest gripes about today's society is they're all about, well, I don't get enough me time. Well, so what? <laughs> right? I mean, now to the world, that seems like a um, very reasonable request. Like when they're thinking about taking on a job, well, how much free time am I going to have for me time? You know? It's not about you. So if I sacrifice that time that God has given me to go and help a widow in a way that maybe, um, or with something that maybe she wouldn't have been able to do herself and that her is, is, is like a manly duty and the, you know, something simple. I know it sounds silly, but, and we're all kind of thinking this, but like mowing the grass, right? It, it pains me to see a woman mowing the yard when she has a husband at home, it eats me up. It's just one of those things. I know it's a personal preference thing, and and a lot of women like doing that. That's fine, but but I'm sure a lot of also a lot of those cases are the man is just lazy. He's just a lazy bum, and he doesn't want to get up and do it. So so you know something simple like that. Uh, the widows that that are, are are too caught up in in you know they have a list of priorities. And they don't have enough time in the day because they can't take care of all of it now that they're a widow. You know, they have to be a mother to children or whatever. Not only a mother to children, but they have to work a full-time job. They have to work a full-time job. They have to prep dinner. They have to get the kids' school done. They have to, I mean, you have to do laundry, everything by themselves, you know. Um, so if I sacrifice that time to help that sister, it's, it's selfless. And that's what God calls us to do is to sacrifice ourselves right Luke 9 23 um, 
I'm not going to tell you what it says. Go look it up if you don't know. Um, but we're to sacrifice ourselves. We're to lay our lives down for someone else. And especially if that widow is a sister in the faith, we're supposed to, to help them first. <clears throat> and it says, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Again, I think that's pretty uh, easy to understand to keep oneself unspotted from the world meaning not to cling to the things of the world like we talked about last week but to be what is it above reproach that's there's the phrase I'm looking for to be above reproach to be blameless now not meaning that I've never sinned and will never sin again but that in the world's eyes, I look like that I am. You know, like we talk about Paul. He calls himself the chief among all sinners. But after his second birth, right, his, after his, his revelation and he, and he became a Christian, I'd be willing to bet that those around him would say that he was one of the most holy men you would ever see, that he, was, he never sinned. But he had this constant battle in his mind. That's what that's what it means to, to be above reproach. It means that that someone can't make an accusation about me with evidence and it be reliable. Okay, I mean, people can make accusations all the time, but if it's um, unfounded and, and they can find no fault in you, right? Looking back in the Gospels, there. Uh, that, that's what it means to 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 be blameless. Um, and I think about it like this to kind of kind of wrap this up. When Christ was washing the feet of his disciples, <clears throat> he um, he's washing their feet, and Peter said, you know, basically told him, "You're not going to wash my feet." And he said, "No, I must, uh, or you can have no part in me." And then he said, "Well, then not my just my feet, but my whole body." And then Christ said, well, those of you who are clean don't need to be completely cleaned. But there is part of you that is unclean. And, you know, it was metaphorical saying that in this life that we will pick up dirt. We will pick up blemishes from the world. As long as we're walking in it, we will stumble over our sin and selfishness. Right, and we will, um, we will get this. We will not be as pure as when we were first cleansed, and that's where the prayer and repentance comes in. Is to wash us, you know, wash my feet, clean me. the 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 uncleanness that I've picked up since since I last spoke to you, Father. Please, you know. Please purify me, correct me so that I may walk in your way again. All right, well, that concludes uh, the first chapter of James. Um, we'll get into the, uh, we'll go into chapter two next week. I don't know that we'll finish all of chapter two, but, you know, we'll try. Um, I'm trying to keep, if, if you are still watching at home, I'm trying to keep my in-class and and those of you watching at home, 
on the same pace. So that way, if you came into class, you don't miss anything or we don't backtrack or anything like that. So um, uh, if you're still watching from home and, and you're thinking about coming to class, you're more than welcome to. It's at 930 at Old Brazier's Chapel. We'd love to see you there. Um, if not, um, you know, we completely understand. Or if you're watching this later, you know, I appreciate those of you who watch this and listen to this and have enough confidence in me to think that uh, you could glean anything that I say, uh, glean anything from what I say, I should say. Um, so again, uh, you know, just thank you guys so much. Please continually be in prayer for um, this class and for me. Um, everybody's got a lot on their plate, I know, but I tend to be adding things daily almost. Um, so y'all please pray for me that that, that uh, God would remove or, or, or would, uh, you know, reveal to me the things I'm wasting my time with and to discard those things and to prioritize them correctly. Um, so again, thank you guys so much for watching, listening, and uh, we will start chapter two of James next week. So thank you, um, and you guys have a great week.